The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. It used to be a good podcast, but they're all preachy and political now. I know, right? I know. <laughs> I can't stand that show anymore. Wait, what show are we talking about? Oh, oh never mind. Anyway, tonight, folks, we're going to be talking about when it's time to break up with fandom. Or in other words, when something that you love and you or loved, I should say, need to go your separate directions. Talking about media, of course, not actual interpersonal relationships. You know, when is it time to uh, shelve those role-playing games or maybe give them to your nephews? When is it time to turn in those comic books or, you know, take those posters down from the wall? When is it time for you and fandom to break up? So, <laughs> this is going to be a happy, fun show, as you can already tell. All right, Don. It's depressing already. <laughs> exactly. It's already depressing. But I thought it was a topic worth discussing because I think that it's something that happens to everyone. I mean, sometimes, you know, something just doesn't bring you joy anymore, to quote Marie Kondo. And you, you, have, to, um, you have to just accept it and move on with your life. That's just, that's just kind of the way it is. And yeah. so when does that happen and why does that happen? I wanted to do a show discussing that. And that's what this show is going to be. If it doesn't sound like a show you guys are going to be interested in, feel free to, you know, come back next month for the next episode. But I think we're probably going to go with some interesting places with this one. I think this could possibly uh, be a good discussion about the nature of fandom and why we fall in love with the things we do and why we fall out of love with the things we do. Hmm. So on that note, Don, tell us about the cycle of fandom. Well, there's kind of, we were just talking about this uh, before the show started. There's kind of two things to consider. One of them is uh, what I've referred to as the cycle of entertainment. And it's, 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 it's a, a pattern that when anything comes out, any kind of new media, new genre, new character, even if you want to take it down to that level, mm-hmm. there's, there's a process that, that, that invariably results. Mm-hmm. And it's things seem to go from to a start at the beginning, they're new and scary. Then they become hip and cool. Mm-hmm. Then they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Then they're old and safe. Right. Then there's the category I've referred to as, ugh, is that still a thing? Okay. And then, and then the final step is the inevitable remake. Where we start all over again, maybe. Yeah, yeah, or if if you're not exactly starting all over again, you're starting when you get to the point that everybody's fed up with it, mm-hmm. and it goes away. That lets whoever still holds the copyright to re quote unquote reinvent it for a new audience, and then bring it back, and the cycle can start all over again. In theory, at least that's what they hope. Anyway, it doesn't ever. I shouldn't say ever, but it rarely seems to actually work out that way, though. I would disagree. I think it does, but I think 
the post-internet, the process sped up a lot? I, I, I raise you the Phantom movie, um, the A-Team remake, the, well, the Dude, Where's My Car remake, the, the pretty much every, re, you know, every remake that's ever happened, they, they almost never do as well as the original film did. They're the Robocop remake, the Total Recall ma- remake. I could go down, you know, a huge list of, of 80s stuff and 70s stuff that's been remade in the last, say, 10 years alone, maybe a little more, and almost all of them are commercial failures. They pretty much all flopped. So a lot of them do, um, because I think there's the the catch when you bring something back, Mm -hmm. you've got to take it back to that, that, that new and scary point. Which I don't think is usually possible because most things are products of their time. And I don't think that that, so it's a different time. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work the way it was, but you can do stuff that it has to be new and scary for the contemporary audience. Okay. Okay. And I think, I I think that's where the problem comes in. So if you you look back uh, years ago to like the, uh, the, you mentioned the Phantom. Mm -hmm. Well, they remade the Phantom straight up based on the comic. Yes, they did. And nobody cared because, I mean, we still have the comic for one. And it, nobody cared about the comic. Nobody cared about yeah. it to begin with, actually. Well, they cared about Once Upon a Time. It was popular. But but no, but no. by the 80s, by, hell, by the 70s, by the 60s, no one cared about the Phantom. He was just too much of a product of his time. Yeah. And then to bring that back, you'd have to do something that made it new and scary for a contemporary audience. Otherwise, it just looks like super old hat. Yep. Pretty much. Same with the Shadow remake. Same with, well, pretty much... Every single Pulp Hero remake, I don't think any of them ever worked because the Pulps were just too much of a product of their time and it just doesn't work. And also the stuff we have today is so derivative of those Pulp things that there's nothing new or scary about any of them. Yeah. So I don't think it's possible. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's very, very difficult to to make a remake work or, or a reboot or whatever to do it and to do it well because the things that made it work have usually already become uh, amalgamated into popular culture to the degree that they're everywhere anyway. Like the audience has seen so many derivations of them at one point that without realizing it, that if you go back and look at the original, it doesn't work anymore. Like it it, it just looks like old and tired instead of actually something that was new and fresh, which it was once upon a time. Yeah, and and then that's the... The, the the idea of when you bring a remake back, like, what do you do with it? Or if, even if you're not just doing a remake. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it like uh, something like, say, um, you've got Star Trek comes back with the movies. That's true. The movies that they did, the, the, the new Star Trek movies, were, were Star Wars with Star Trek trapping. Yes, they were. Mm-hmm. Which, which kind of made it new and scary for, like, the old fans. Okay. Made it kind of relatable to new ones. They bring it back to TV. They start with Discovery. Mm -hmm. The internet loses its shit months before Discovery comes out. It's new and frightening. And now we've got got four different series running. That's true. And I I think, again, it's it's that idea that you find what hits that nerve currently, and then you kind of ride that wave to wherever... You ride that wave in one way or another to uh, to comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. And okay. then that's where you, 
And that's where you get with, like, say, like the Star Treks, they do, like, Strange New Worlds, which is the comfortable old one. Mm -hmm. But then you've already shocked, like, your audiences and, and that with the other three. And by splitting it up like that, you can you can target different types of, of fan to get all fired up. Yes, you can. And it's, it's the kind of thing where I think that that works. And this is where something like say, bringing back the phantom, you can't do that because I can't really set the old fans against the new ones because the old fans died 40 years ago. But yep. what you're, what you're looking at, what happens post internet, like when the internet starts in the early nineties, it's the era of maximum nerd rage. Mm -hmm. And what happens is by the time you get to the aughts, a lot of companies have realized that you can capitalize on nerd rage. Yes, yes, they have. And then that's what you start seeing them do. And that's why when they start bringing things back that in some capacity take off, there always seems to be this idea of playing groups against each other because that gets you attention. That's social media. That's the modern internet. Yeah. That's literally what it's based on. It's not just nerd rage, it's just rage in general. Well, it's 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 weaponized nerd rage because yep. that concept of nerd rage has now worked its way into every aspect of life. That's one way to look at it. Okay, okay. And 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 like I say, the folks that that pull the strings figured out how to how to use that. Well, and their algorithms did anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's because we all know friend computers. The one really pulling the strings. All praise the almighty eight bit technical motherboard, but. But that, but that, that's mm -hmm. how it goes. Another, another example of that kind of thing of, of turning into the skid would be they do a Ghostbusters remake. Internet mm -hmm. loses its shit. Nobody's happy. People are freaking out left and right. It's the end of civilization. Cats and dogs living together. Blah blah blah. Yep, yep, yep. A couple of years, a couple of years later, they do another movie that's a relative hit. That it, it goes down smooth. Not a lot of complaints. Mm -hmm. Get a fair bit of like. Of, of happy feelings mm -hmm. you get um make a couple of bucks and inevitably in two years it's going to be a, a netflix series well it is a netflix series called stranger things it was called stranger but, things that's why they got the kid from stranger things to star in it yeah um and yeah. they're apparent no in two years there's going to be a sequel to that one already that they've already announced that so it's like mm -hmm. okay well stranger things yeah that they discovered that uh, kids and monsters work well together mm. <laughs> in small town america who knew the Hardy Boys certainly <laughs> didn't. Stephen King did. Yeah, Stephen King did. Oh, yes, he did. That's his whole career, pretty much. <laughs> that's his MO yeah. right there. Oh, sir, I was going to say, but that's that's how that, that cycle works. And then it's like we've said with other things. You'll get the, 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 the shoot. You'll go through those steps, but the intensity of those steps will vary each time around. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times if you're bringing something back, it's difficult to make it hip and cool again, but you can settle into comfortable yeah. fairly quick. Okay. No, no, that, that I, I would agree with that. If you can make it uh, palatable to the new generation and uh, at least comfortable for the old one, the, the new Ghostbusters is probably the best example of that. Mm -hmm. It probably is, where they managed to strike that balance between comfortable and just lively enough for the new audience. They had that angle. And so the whole thing worked. The whole thing worked. Yeah. It's not a great film. It's okay. But it's but it generally worked. It did the job and it did well for you know being released during a pandemic. So that so that was something else too. Yeah. So I'll give it points for that. 
All right, so let's go back to the beginning of your cycle. We kind of got hung up on the very last point, but uh, we can go back. <laughs> we can go back to the future there, and uh, we can start with the first step. So let's go back to the mm-hmm. first step, which was new and scary. New and scary. So what makes something new and scary, Don? That's kind of there in the title. It's new, so it's scary. Um, what 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 that does is for something to really catch on. Mm-hmm. It's we and we've talked about it before. Entertainment's based on novelty. A lot of it is, yeah, yeah. That you want something new, but it can't be so new that people can't relate to it. Mm-hmm. So you're typically when when you get something that's genuinely new mm-hmm. and and different, people don't know how to react. That's where you get like people freaking out. It becomes like an overnight trend. It becomes like the scourge of concerned citizens everywhere, and that all feeds into it. Because mm-hmm. it's it's all attention, and you, you'll see that with um, any kind of new medium that comes out. Mm-hmm. There's always a huge hate on for it because it's it's it it scares people. It's it's different. Is I just learned how to watch TV. Now I got to figure out this cable thing. Oh my god! Yo, exactly. Eighty eighty channels. How will I cope? You know that kind of thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's uh, this is how all new media, uh, pretty much all new technology. But definitely all new media works. Each time the media evolves, it freaks everyone out. That's pretty yeah. standard. And during that freak out is when, if you're the perpetrator of it, you find that audience. Mm-hmm. Because everybody is now, it's everybody's vocal about it one way or the other. So you can see, oh, well, like the church groups hate it, but for some reason truck drivers love it. So that's got to be our, our audience. And once you start figuring that out, that's how you kind of get to the next step, the hip and cool part, mm-hmm. where once you know who your audience is, you can start playing it up to them. Mm-hmm. And micro-targeting and basically, fine, you basically begin the fine-tuning process. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you threw a bunch of stuff at them. Now let's see how we can play with this. Let's see what directions we can go with this because we can't just stay static. It's not going to be shocking anymore, novel anymore. So we got to bring something else to the table. So let's play with it to see if we can continue to give some of that novelty and maybe bring something else in that's going to keep them happy. Yeah, and it's also the divide and conquer that once I find out who my audience is, I can make them feel warm and special as part of the the audience for this particular thing oh yeah definitely that was uh if you saw headbangers journey the one guy talking about he always found the idea of the kiss army Mm -hmm. to be fascinating that the kiss army were the fans of the band kiss who were alienated in the millions because of their love for this band so they are isolated all together and that was but that's part of what your marketing is is you want your 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 kind of getting the wheat from the chaff at that point right and you'll start you you focus in on who is who who is our audience how do we pander to them how do we what what do they want what are they getting from it Mm -hmm. and how do we give them give them more of that to, to keep them hanging on because it's it goes with the idea and we've talked about it before that nothing really takes off until somebody's complaining about it right and that always back because it's it's it on one hand it's attention mm-hmm. on the other hand it starts that process of isolating the fans from the rest of society right 
And on the other other hand, it starts providing the uh, like like serious feedback. Okay, feedback in what way? Well, that once um, if I put note and and I'll use the example of you look at say the late seventies, early eighties. As part of the satanic panic, we found out that heavy metal music was the work of the devil. Yep, yep, definitely. And what that started doing is if I was the owner of a company that made heavy metal music, I knew who my audience wasn't. Right, that's true. They were protesting. I know who my audience was because they were either counter-protesting or I could assume the opposite of whoever the protesters were was my audience. Very, Very true. What you get at the beginning of of that era, Mm -hmm. um, there really isn't any Satanism in heavy metal music. And again, going back to a headbanger's journey, they talk about, say, Black Sabbath Mm -hmm. that would sing about the devil nap, but as a bad thing. Yes, yeah. What you end up getting fairly early was the band Venom, who played into the whole Satanic imagery thing, because there was an audience to be had. Right. And then that's the kind of feedback that you start getting when you start... Because if nobody's saying anything about what you're doing, you have no idea how it's being taken. It's probably not being taken at all, is the answer. Yeah. If you're not getting feedback, that means you've got a resounding meh out of your audience, and so they don't care. At least not in any significant numbers. So it's basically a failure, depending on your perspective of failure. But then if I can get, say, the old church biddies screaming and hollering about it then all the people who don't like old church babies there's a good chance they'll come on board because it pisses them off i'm in well that's exactly right yeah you got a reaction yeah and that's and again it becomes that marketing that that we've got a direction to go and Mm -hmm. we can now market it to our audience as the thing like that's what makes it hip and cool like the the, the new thing and then when like the squares and like the, the news start talking about there's a new trend that your kids are probably into that's sweeping the schools and right. it's turn, turning them these Pokemon cards are turning them into hardcore gamblers and murders are happening and then that just makes it even cooler right? And oh yeah. You, and that that lasts only so long mm-hmm. until you get to say the next part which is the comfortable phase. Right. And that's where you're where you're sort of Whatever it is I'm doing, it's generally accepted now. Mm-hmm. So I can't rely on the shock value. I'm sort of uh, riding the crest of the wave. Yep. Well, you're riding then, the name brand recognition. That's what you're riding. You're basically riding yeah. that it's a known quantity and a known property. And people are generally, some people like it, some people don't. But it's known by a mass audience. Yeah, and it's it's not it's it's no longer like frightening. It's the fans of it aren't necessarily isolated. It's it's kind of like in the eighties, swatch watches were a thing that if you were like a new waiver in the early eighties, you had to have twelve of them. Right. And then by the middle of the eighties, everybody had a swatch watch just because those are kind of the only watches you could buy. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. That that that's your your comfortable era. That it's just there. It doesn't. Nobody notices it anymore. Mm-hmm. And you've either, it, it's like, say, Coca-Cola. Like, you've either reached a level of market saturation where I don't even have to try anymore. I'm going to just get X number of sales because of inertia. Yeah, exactly. Coke's a beautiful example of that. Just existing will get you a certain number of sales without doing any major marketing at all. Yeah. 
Wow, I and can't then, even remember the last time I saw a Coke commercial. I really can't, actually. Huh. Well, that's because the last big Coke commercial that came out pissed everybody off because the audience disagreed that Coca-Cola can end racism. But, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember. I so, forgot about that. The Kylie Jenner one. Yes. So that's why they're still in that phase. They're waiting for the remake era to start Coke commercials up hardcore again. Yeah. Yep, that's true. But again, I suspect their sales haven't gone down at all. I suspect that their their sales are just trucking right along. Yeah, because again, it's 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 ubiquitous. You're mm, you're yeah. not gonna. And then once you get to that point, it gets into the old and safe category, mm-hmm. which is kind of like comfortable, but more right. Old and safe is where either you're now a, if you make it that far, your whatever is now either a fixture. Mm-hmm. Or on the way out, or both. Right, but if you've reached well, it to that point, yeah, I would say is usually both. Usually, it, you'll you're kind of on the way out, but eventually you'll wander back in again. Like you'll kind of just you'll just exist in the background, getting louder yeah, or softer as the case may, with time. Yeah, because uh, to use contrast, it you've got say uh, we just mentioned Coca Cola. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody thinks twice. You mentioned the Phantom. Yep. The Phantom is a character. The comic is still out there. Not the only person who cares is Josh Verlinger. Um, you've got if if you ever see like uh, somebody who's doing a retrospective of comic books or mm-hmm. if they're drawing a superhero crowd scene, he's always in there. But again, it's it doesn't have any real cultural relevance anymore. No, not at all. No, no. Uh, even though it once was very popular important character in superhero and pulp them but mm. same with the shadow shadows the same way mandrake the magician there's a whole bunch of them yep most of the king features characters are like that yeah and 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 even the ones that are still like a a good example would be like the family circus yeah yeah it's it's in that it's in that category but it might be moving into the uh the next one the dark gritty reboot of the family circus that would be awesome no you 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 skip the uh is that still a thing part oh yes you're right i forgot about that okay yeah uh is that still a thing okay fine yeah and that's what happens if you're still getting um exposure Mm -hmm. but you're you're cruising in the old and safe category right so an example of that i would probably say for most people is the simpsons Mm -hmm. yeah that, that a lot of people are like, oh, that, it hasn't been good for 20 years. Nah. But it's still one of like, for whatever reason, even though everybody still hates it, it's still one of their, their highly rated shows. So it still comes out. It's still on the air. Yep, yep. It never ends. I think South Park is pretty much the same. Yeah, South Park seems to kind of fluctuate though because they're in like the old safe category, but they keep finding new people to piss off. There's that too, and new ways to piss people off, yeah. Yeah, which kind of puts them in that like new and scary, hip and cool thing. But they don't... Yeah, you're right, they, they kind of flux in and out, yeah. Yeah, because again, it's, it's what they've started doing now is it's been on long enough that like the youngsters that thought it was great because it gotten like grandpa's face back in the day are now grandpa and they're getting in their face. Yeah, yeah. But then that makes other people laugh that the fans themselves are the ones that are getting tweaked now Mm -hmm. so that kind of keeps it sort of like almost hip yep 
I can see that, which is something The Simpsons is not doing. Yeah, because again, the the Simpsons, like the last couple seasons, I found they did a lot of good episodes, but it's got the problem. Mm-hmm. There's so much of it, they're lapping themselves. Yeah, of course they are. So, yeah, there there's there really isn't too much more they can do, and that's gonna I think come up in the next section. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Like not the not the the cycle of entertainment. Once you get from that, like you were saying, you get to the remake, mm-hmm. and the remake is always where. You're either going full-blown trying to cater to the current audience or you're going full-blown nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And either one is sort of a mixed bag because at that point, it's hard to make certain things new and scary. Yes. You might be able to make them kind of hip in like a retro way. Mm-hmm. So to start the cycle over again, it can be a little difficult and again, you can jump in, sort of go through the stages fairly quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can kind of do a speed run of them. Yeah, because I think post-internet, that's kind of what happened, is that anytime anything comes out, the response is so instantaneous mm-hmm. that it's difficult, if if I'm creating something, to judge what's the general public opinion for real. Unless something is a really big hit, I would generally agree with that. It, it is well, tricky to gauge exactly how popular something is. Because among other things, the streaming services, generally speaking, um, they keep their numbers pretty tight. So we don't really yeah. know what their real numbers are in a lot of cases. Um, there's some subsidiaries that that are able to kind of guess, take a good stab at it based on they know what percentage of their viewers are watching it. You know, they're kind of, but except for that, we really don't know. So it's hard to really guess, you know, was Stranger Things really a mega hit? The answer is probably yes, but we don't really, <laughs> but we, and there's needs to be enough evidence for it. But the thing is we have to put together a good case to determine whether something is popular or not, or they're just marketing the shit out of it every two or three years. Yeah. And, and even to go the other way that, because anytime you do anything, somebody somewhere is going to be outraged by it. Mm-hmm. You can't tell if that outrage is genuine, if you're being trolled, if it's just people hopping on board, if it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Like, getting any kind of genuine feedback now, it's difficult because, like, you're spoiled. Mm -hmm. Like, in the old day, you kind of had to make an effort to get feedback, which is why, uh, like, the Japanese comic books always had the the reply forms in them. Mm -hmm. And say, like... Uh, Western comic books would always have a letters page because then judging by the letters that I'm getting and I can kind of start figuring what is it that the people reading this like and don't like, but I'm not getting any info on the people who aren't reading it, why they're not reading it. Right. But nowadays I can get all of that info right away. And the problem is, like I say, I don't know how genuine it is because it can be stuff like I put the cover for like, Batman whatever that's coming out in three months and people are like oh my god I don't like the bad symbol you ruined everything ah! and then people jump on board with that and I don't know is it just a lone idiot that's everybody's jumping in for the lols is it like yep. are people that upset about the bat symbol like, like I have no real way of telling and that's why uh, we mentioned it before when Marvel about a decade ago was getting critiqued 
mm-hmm. about their uh, about a lot of their stuff and they started changing their stories it did nothing it didn't their sales didn't go up or down because the people complaining weren't people who were reading the comics either way exactly yeah they were they were just people complaining because that's what you do on the internet exactly <laughs> and i think that's been part of this transition period of people getting used to social media i th- at least that's what, how I th- what I think is happening. I think slowly, I think it's very slow, but I'm noticing a very slow process of people learning to ignore complainers on the internet. There's a certain, right. there's a certain uh, tolerance that's popping up even in corporate dumb and everything where it's like, did, how many people really cared? Okay, never mind. We're, you, we can't really tell, but we're pretty sure that's nothing. So just, just forget it. They'll probably forget next week when they go on to look at something else because they have no attention span. And guess what? They're usually right. Yeah. I mean, anything that's like an outrage on the internet, no, just wait it out. That's actually probably the best strategy at this point. If you're, if someone tries to cancel you, just wait it out. You'll probably be fine. Yeah, well, it's that acceleration of the uh, the, the entertainment cycle yep. that we can go from utter outrage to complete remake and brilliant hip return in months or oh, yeah. weeks. Yep, months or weeks. Um, sort of. I mean, occasionally you do get some people who the internet or some properties where the internet, you know, gets a bug up their ass about, and so they they, they every time they try to bring them back, the the first thing that happens is is that like you know the internet dra- drags up all the old controversy. But then again, that happens with pretty much anything anyway. Like cause, yeah, because there's clicks in old controversy, so they'll immediately bring back anything that comes up from that had any controversy or anything questionable attached to it whatsoever. Yeah, plus I think we're looking at uh, part of that. It We're sliding into uh, Nerd Rage 2.0 mm-hmm. where it becomes the next stage of meta-marketing that the people that are screaming about whatever it is that I put up, I'll find like a welcoming you know, family in the people that hate the people screaming about whatever it is that I put up for whatever reason. Yep. Yep, that's true. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, so we go from the part of, I guess, uh, pointless, disingenuous outrage to pointless, disingenuous fandom somehow. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Yep. I think that's a good way to describe it. So at that point, I think we should probably talk talk about um, the types of fandom. Was Was that what you had listed next? Well, what I got into, the the idea that I got that came out of that was if you talk about why people lose interest in things, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found kind of four reasons. Okay. As as to why, um, and it, and, and it, it, it's going to kind of come back around when we get into it, I think to the, to the cycle of entertainment. Cause uh, I guess to start at the beginning, the first one that I came up with was a lot of things you'll just age out of. Right. Which I think is something that's very hard for especially younger new fans to understand because they haven't aged out of that many things. I mean, they have aged out of things because eventually they aged out of Blue's Clues and, um, you know, Pokemon, well, maybe, um, and, you know, and whatever else from when they were a kid, uh, maybe Power Rangers. But they, and they moved into their teenage phase, but they don't seem to realize because they don't have enough life experience that, no, that's going to happen at other stages of your life too. That's that's a perpetual process. Yeah, I, th- I think sometimes it goes the other way, too, that people will be acutely aware of it because they try 
to move away from from especially say like teenagers will try to move away from stuff they liked as a kid because yes. they want to be seen as mature unless yeah, you yeah. can look unless you can enjoy it in a hip kind of way well that's exactly right and that's why yeah that and when you become a college student or university student you you pull away from the stuff you liked as a teenager for the exact same reason yeah um, you don't it's like oh that's something that like 15 year olds you know watched or played or whatever i okay i can't be seen interested in that anymore i have to move on yeah um the only glitch to that is the internet's um current focus well it's not just the internet our cultural focus on perpetual adolescence there seems to be uh, a kind of I would describe. I'm going to use the term Harry Potter fandom. I'm going to use that as their example, um, mm-hmm. where they where basically people reach their teenage years, and then you know they've read the Harry Potter series, and they basically decide, okay, I'm just going to wait for my letter from Hogwarts now, and they basically bury themselves in usually Harry Potter and often anime fandom, and that's pretty much where they stay. They just they just don't leave it. They they just continue right into their twenties. They're proud. They're, they proudly stay with it, and they might even continue on into their thirties until something happens in life that finally forces them out of it. But at this point, we're still waiting to find out what that thing is because we're mostly talking about some millennials, but mostly Gen Z. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna say you're right, but you're being way way too geezer about it because you're picking specific groups that do. No, every generation does that. I would say the current generation does it far more than the previous ones did. I would strongly, I'm, strongly suggest that. But okay, give me your case. I'm going to argue that you're not exactly wrong, but what's going on isn't what it looks like. I win. That End of the show. We're done. Mike dropped. <laughs> he admitted it, folks. He admitted it. Okay. All right. So okay. you've, been, you've, been, you've been waiting years for that, haven't you? Yes, I have, sir. Yes, I have. Okay. All right, let's hear yeah. it. Let's let let's hear why I'm kind of sort of wrong, which means that I'm not really wrong. Go, let's go with this. Well, because it's the idea to use the Harry Potter example. Yes. They're they're like clinging on to Harry Potter fandom, but it's not because they're necessarily using that to purposefully avoid you know like real life and and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not '80s metalheads after all. My God, and but, but <laughs> well, who is but, yeah anymore? But, but if yeah, but it's that idea that it's a downtime. So what you're seeing is they're having difficulty kind of moving to the next life cycle because of practical problems. Like the idea of like nobody, none of, none of these like millennials are buying houses. Well, yes, because the job at Dairy Queen that they had to take because there's nothing else doesn't let them pay the mortgage on a $300,000 shack somewhere. Mm, true. So that what it is, is this is the kind of thing that if they had the other earmarks of, of moving on, like, you know, uh, a career instead of a job, they bought a house, they're starting a family. We wouldn't focus in on their nerddom as much. That would be an affectation. But to a lot of people, and this is the same kind of thing I remember, like, back in the 70s and the 80s, and I was a kid even. Mm-hmm. It's where people focus because you're always and we talked about this again on another episode if somebody's not making it we want to find a way to blame them so we make it some kind of moral shortcoming mm-hmm. and that's why say being like a harry potter fan is a moral shortcoming because it's keeping you from progressing and for most people it's not it's that the other things are keeping them from progressing this is just something they enjoy like i say if if they had met the other earmarks 
we wouldn't care about their Harry Potterishness. Uh, I think it's a combination of both. This is where we get into the I'm partly right as well. Um, mm. Where I would argue that what's happening, and again, this is coming from someone who you know, works with you know seventeen to twenty year olds as as a profession. Um, they are definitely different than they were even 10 years ago or 10 years before that. They really are. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is mostly the result. I mostly blame the internet and social media, but I also blame you know, our messed up world, right, as well. I mean, we've got an entire generation now that are basically hyped up on either uh, antidepressants or uh, anti-ADHD medication or both in some cases. Um, and that have huge stress and anxiety issues like that, the previous generations literally didn't have like they they literally are different the kids today than the ones before and researchers have been seeing this adolescence has been extending longer and longer and longer and i'm not saying all of them obviously that would be that would be a horrible generalization but i'm going to say a surprisingly large percentage of them are trying to extend their adolescence as long as possible simply because they are freaking terrified of the quote-unquote real world. No, and I'd argue that's because partly you're right. They they know that the economy is not good. They know that the, um, the job prospects aren't good. They don't want. Uh, they they know that the uh, the environment's slowly falling apart. You know that you know politics. You know etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean we've gone through dark times before, but the internet keeps it in their face all the time. And this is thing, this is one of the reasons why they kind of retreat into their fantasy worlds like anime and Harry Potter or Star Wars or even be the role playing games, whatever, you know, whatever their fandom of choice is, basically. The current generation are living at large inside their fandoms. And I can give you another piece of evidence to support my case. OK, what is the most popular light novel anime, manga, whatever genre right now, and has been for many years at this point. For about five or six, give or take. Eh, a little longer, actually. Uh, shoujo Baking Series. Uh, yeah, you say that because you know the answer. <laughs> Isekai. Isekai, right. where I get hit by truck-kun and I go off to live my perfect life in another world, where everyone loves me and appreciates me, and I can get family and connections with other people, and I'm just the most beloved, wonderful person ever. And Fans cannot get the current generation can't get enough of them. They haven't been able to get enough of them for about ten years. It's just like it's basically fantasy on steroids. They just absolutely love it so so very much. And they read a gazillion Harry Potter isekai fanfics where they get sent off to Hogwarts and that because they're praying truck coon's going to get them in real life. Although I guess it would actually be the train coon with Harry Potter or something. But whatever. <laughs> the point is is that or maybe train chan. Whatever. I'm not I'm not judging. Anyway, the point is is that. No, young, the current crop of young people are freaking terrified of the real world. And um, this is the result. Is they're, so they're avoiding it because, duh, that's what human beings do. They, they, they avoid stressful, unpleasant situations and painful stuff. And they would rather try to hide from that and hide in their parents' basement than they would go forward. And I know we make those jokes about hiding in your parents' basement all the time. Even for our generation, that that definitely happened. But the sheer percentage of them is like is mind-boggling. I mean, and there you've got the ones in Japan that, that they're again the Japanese are a little bit exceptional, but not as much as you'd think. Where where you, literally they hide in their parents' basement, and then when they get a knock at the door and they discover their parents are dead and the other the house is sold and someone else has moved in. 
Um, and that's not a joke. That really happens on a regular basis with the hikikomori in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. Now, and I'm suspecting we probably have far more of them here than we realize also. And we've got all these young people that are making their lives, like especially the attractive ones that can, making their lives as streamers on Twitch and other places like that. Again, it lets them do that stuff without ever leaving their room, without ever leaving their basement. They can make a ton of money and people will even send them stuff. So they're literally just like living their little cocoons because the world is a big, scary place and they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, but I'm going to put forth uh, the notion that this is where we've got weaponized nerd rage because it's not just the kids that are doing that. It's everybody. That's why you get the idea that you know, it's a big, scary world because Tom Hanks is working with the Jewish space lasers to empower the NRA so that it can make people magnetic. And and that's where you get all these, like, dumbass theories. It's the same. It's Harry Potter for old neckbeards. Okay. And that's and that's why it's so prevalent. It's because it's it's that notion of nerd rage. It's kind of what you're saying. The world is a scary place. Mm-hmm. Um, add the extra layer that... I'm being hard done by it because I want to move on. I want to do my thing, but there can be practical like obstacles depending on what that thing is. And then somebody somewhere is willing to sell you a fantasy land you can live in, whether it's a fantasy land of a novel or a political ideology or a religion or a cult or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'd agree with that. So it's not, it's not just the kids. It's everybody. (laughs) Uh, Yes and no. I would argue that um, the reason I mostly harp on the kids is because they've been the ones who are able to, well, they grew up in this environment, right? So they're, that's why they're deep, deep, deep in it. Um, whereas those who are, say, over the age of 30 have at least at some point, the vast majority of them, they've had to go on dates. They've, you know, if they wanted to you know, deal with their you know, procreational urges and such, they've had to go out and have sex or whatever, maybe. Um, they've had to get a job definitely for survival. And again, unless they've got boomer parents that have been taking care of them. Um, so even Billy Bob Joe there, who's uh, talking about the great conspiracy involving Tom Hanks and, uh, you know, uh, Pizzagate and whatever else, and and you and the new you know Lord and Savior Q, who apparently is back. I learned this week, but anyway, mm-hmm. he disappeared for a while, but now he's been <laughs> resurrected, like Jesus. He believes in him, but he's tweeting that on his phone while he's going between deliveries in his truck. You know, he's not hiding in his parents' basement. He has a job. He might have a wife. He may or may not enjoy spending time with, and a kid he probably doesn't see as much as he wants to. Like, they actually do have a real life. They've been forced to by circumstance and by dint of when they were born. Whereas if you were 16 or even 24 at this point, you've possibly grown up in an environment where you were never forced to do those things. So you're you're kind of just coasting along. You don't, you, and even if you do have a job, you probably have a job that involves you um, spending as little time outside as possible and then rushing back into your room where you can talk to your friends and cocoon again. See, that's, where I think... And this is something that was not happening to this degree. Again, some of it was happening in the 80s and the 70s. I mean, I'm sure we can go back way further than this. We could probably go back to the 40s or 30s, as you're fond of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 20s, even, possibly. There were some of them. God, look at H.P. Lovecraft. And H.P. Um, <laughs> Lovecraft is the poster child for this, pretty much. Uh, same with, uh, oh, creator of Conan, Robert E. Howard. Uh, there, there's mm-hmm. our, there's our Howard reference, Jack. I hope you're happy. Um, and so <laughs> there's our Jack reference. <laughs> there we go. He, now he's double happy. All right. So the point is, is that, um, 
even though, you know, those kind of shut-in nerds existed back then, they weren't the norm or they weren't close to being the norm. They were, they were like extreme outliers. And now they might not be the norm, but they're far closer to the, to the median center than they, than they were once a long time ago. And the internet has done this to us. But I, I don't entirely disagree, but I got to wonder again, it's that idea of, of how much of that is factual and how much of that is the uh, nerd rage us old people are being sold because that mm-hmm. sounds exactly like the stuff I remember as a kid in the 70s about kids are watching too much TV they need to go out and play and remember that was a trope eh? and then in that the was, 80s it yeah. was yeah you sit in your room staring at that Atari all day you should go out and play in my day we had the blah 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 it's that exact same line it, it and, is. I agree. and I agree and I find, again, the problem isn't that, you know, the kids, quote-unquote, are hiding in, in mom and dad's basement. It's that they're with the old people wandering the streets, staring at their goddamn phone, getting in my fucking way. That's what I find is kind of the, uh, the current modern thing, that to cocoon, you don't have to stay inside anymore. Like that's, Well, there is that. Your phone allows you to cocoon wherever you are. Um, yeah. Th- th- except most of them do do their best to... You know, cocoon as much as possible. Get distra- they want to eliminate distractions from their phone. Here, I think we'll agree to disagree that it's uh, to the degree to the problem. But again, keep in <laughs> mind that, um, and this is where I, this is where I'm going to engage a, what I think it's what call to authority. I can't remember which logical fallacy this is, but you uh-huh. know, I am the one that actually works with these kids. <laughs> so I yeah, actually, but... do a, so unlike you, I spend a fair amount. Well, actually, that's not true, though, is it? No, I, I, I work with the kids too. You work with the kids, although I think you're working with a slightly. I would argue you're working with a different set than I am. Because, you know, for example, when I teach my media <laughs> studies courses, most of my kids are actually intended to go into like, well, media creation or things like that. They're literally this type of kid. Whereas right. the kids you're working with are, how would no, you describe a lot, them? A lot of them are the same. And that's where I say that you see with uh, education, there's always pushes into different trends. Right. Because like one of the guys... Uh, for instance, gave me his his card. He's working with a company that that's him and a bunch of his buds in their early twenties that are designing video games. Oh, that's awesome! Mm-hmm. And they do free, and a lot of them do 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 shit like that, right? Even though you wouldn't necessarily expect it, because I think again, it's that's where where you see things get pushed. It's it's the same idea with um, when you talk about being a, an influencer. Mm-hmm. For people under thirty, that's their equivalent of the lottery. Like that's the uh, yeah, the thing is. that's going. That's what's going to save you from uh, desperation and and not being able to afford to retire. Is you're going to be an influencer. Whereas for like our generation, it was I'm going to win the six forty nine. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about being an influencer is, if, especially if you're a successful one, is that people just like send you stuff. Like companies yeah. and fans, they just like send you tons of stuff. It's it's astounding. They I've seen influencers talk about this and even show that they have like whole you know rooms in their apartment that is just filled with stuff that fans sent them that they have never unpacked or don't have time to unpack because they're too busy making daily content. Because if they don't, YouTube will demonetize them or you know, derank, yeah. actually derank them, not demonetize them, or or both. Yeah, they can do both. Yeah, they can do both. Yeah, exactly. Or Twitch, or whatever. Because if you're not going up, if you're not, you know, or or at the very least maintaining your audience numbers, you're dying basically in the influencer game. Because someone else is taking your spot, and yeah, uh, it, they get burned out doing it. It's it's it's, it's kind of like a soul crushing job, apparently. Yeah, because like you're never not at work. Yep, exactly. And that 
and that's that's the thing like say old fuddies like us don't realize is mm-hmm. if you want to be an influencer oh my god that is a metric shit ton of work because you are always on and you have to always be conscientious of everything you do mm-hmm. because it's constantly being scrutinized yep actually i remember i was reading about a guy this was on reddit he was talking about how he broke up with his uh girlfriend who was a influencer of the uh more pornogra- pornographic variety, right? And mm-hmm. he said the problem was that um, at first he was kind of like okay with you know I've got this hot you know girl who like she yeah, she streams and everything like that and but you know I've got this hot girlfriend and that and she you know we spend time together. But what happens is he quickly discovered that okay so she ropes him into um, you know performing on camera you know with a mask or whatever. But he's like okay uh-huh. well, I guess I can do this I guess I can. but the thing is. Everything about their sex life very quickly became a performative act because mm-hmm. she was always on. She was always thinking about um, what she could do to spice up her next video and involve and dragging him into it. Like there was no private intimacy in the relationship whatsoever. It was all connected to her influencing and or to you know to her streaming, etc. So that's why they broke up. Like he couldn't take it anymore after a while. Because yeah. that's the mentality when you're an influencer. It, it it takes all your mental space. Yeah, and not to mention that, again, because the internet is constantly in a state of outrage. Can you imagine the comics? Oh, man, look at those pubes. What is he from the 1970s? You know, <laughs> hey, hey, buddy, get a chest. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Like, well, trust me, thanks to Pornhub, I'm pretty sure that every possible fetish, including that, um, has its uh-huh. own category and its own videos and uh, <laughs> its own fandom. I mean, literally, like you know, I'm I'm pretty sure they're down to whether you know, whether the girls or guys <laughs> or whatevers have a um, you know, have a mole on their right butt cheek or their left butt cheek, and you know, it's a turn it's a turn on if it's on the right, but on the left, <laughs> ugh, that's gross. Um, it's, it's like that weird level of specificity, you know, does their nose turn up or does it turn down or, oh my God, like it's insane the level of detail that, uh, fans get into over like porn (laughs) and and just, you know, objectification of the, 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 these people's bodies. And of course it messes the performers up to no end. Um, yeah, cause you can never, it just becomes work at that point. Yep. Sex is work. Creativity Mm -hmm. is work. Breathing is work, and literally everything is work. And surprise, many of these people end up being, you know, drug or alcohol addicts, and uh, they didn't start that way. But it, 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 you know, it's the only way they can get downtime. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we should probably get back on track. We've kind of wandered a bit far, because um, <laughs> this was just about, you know, at a certain age, at certain points in age or time, you grow out of certain fandoms, which is perfectly true. As, as we yeah. said right at the beginning of this long discussion, um, sometimes it's a natural progression. Sometimes you, as you said, you force your way out because you don't mm-hmm. want to be associated with that fandom anymore. It's like, oh, I was an anime fan when I was a teenager, but I wouldn't be that anymore. I'm now a real yeah. person, a real adult. Well, that goes back to, uh, it goes back to uh, what she calls it, uh, a headbanger's journey again. Mm-hmm. When they talk to the fandoms that... They, they interviewed Rob Zombie, and his comment was, I've never met that guy who said, Oh, Slayer, I, I was into them a lot that one summer. You never meet that guy. You always meet the guy who has the band emblem carved into his chest. <laughs> well, because that's the one who will stick around for a while. I mean, there are some fandoms, I would definitely say, that have a longer lifespan in people's lives than others. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed that metal does seem to be one of those things that if it kind of works for you and well, okay, when it comes to music, I know there's a bit of a hump because as we both know, uh, thanks to neuroscience, uh, when you're younger, music has a very, very strong effect on you. It actually, mm-hmm. and then, then it looks like about the time that your brain kind of starts to really settle in your mid twenties, music no longer gives you that dopamine kick anymore. Like it, it can right. give you a dopamine kick, but it's not as strong as it was back when you were in like your teens and early twenties. There's seems to be a point in your in their lives when, and this is something again that the young people don't understand because again no they don't have the frame of reference. Uh, is that no? There's a point where this music that you would like live and die for now that is your life will suddenly not mean anything to you, and it because your brain isn't getting what it wants out of that music anymore. And or isn't it isn't stimulating those parts of your brain anymore. And so I've noticed that if you are a fan of something when you're young, often they'll some point in their say twenties or something like that, they'll often drop it. Like they'll they'll you know, they'll lose interest in it, they'll kind of wander on. Again, not everyone, but this seems to be the case. But then there's this weird thing where if you become a fan of, say, music especially, when you're older, that may actually be a lifelong love. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. if it still works for you after when you're in your 30s or so, it may continue to work for you for the rest of your life or close to it. But there's just seems to be that dip there where you kind of lose your old fandoms and it kind of comes back. In, at least when it comes to music anyway. Well, it's, it's a bunch of things. And this is why I disagree with, like, say, the running notion that you hear from a lot of social commenters that, you know, we're being infantilized because people like Batman. It depends on. The things you like when you're young Mm -hmm. are usually, like you were saying, they're the quick dopamine hit. Yep. Uh, There's a lot of excitement because if you're really young, you don't have, like you said, a frame of reference. Everything is new. Yep. New and scary, as you mentioned. Yeah. And and it's that idea that sometimes what will happen is your appreciation for something, it becomes tied up in other stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So typically music, one of the things that makes people like the music they did when they were young is like the nostalgic warm fuzzies it gives them. Mm -hmm. But that's a different kind of connection. Um, I would argue most of them tend to like the music because, well, generally one of two reasons. I'm sure there are more, but but generally, A, the music speaks to them if they they can actually understand the lyrics or or the whatever. It it has a resonance with them, I guess you could say. And the other is they connect it with their, um, their... exterior life you know it's something that's around them it's what their friends are listening to or it's connected with moments in their life you know moments in their real life their experiences and so they've got the connection between you know i was doing this and this song was playing or you know this was the song you know when my met my first you know girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever um Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing so they've got those connections or resonates with them i would argue those are the main two things yeah and 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 there can be other stuff too so um so, and this is where you'll see people that, uh, to use a, a weird example, say, like when you're a little kid, you like Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. It's new, it speaks to you, it's it's the in thing. You get a little older, you may still maintain kind of that appreciation, but it'll change because it might be that you have nostalgic memories for it. That's usually part of it. There might be a technical thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I know for myself, some of the... I still get a kick out of some of the old stop-motion ones that they did back in the 70s on yep. Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And it's because I like the model work. Right, that's fair. Like, I don't have to learn about the Kingdom of Eight 
so I can count the princesses and blah blah blah. But I just think that the the way they did the 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 puppetry and the designs like that still interests me. There's a yeah. lot of stuff. There's a lot like I've mentioned. Say like I I still like action figures, but mm-hmm. I don't play with them like when I was a kid. I make my own now. Like I the the technical process. So I've hung on to that affection, but it changes. Yes, because it it changes. Uh, it you're getting something different, and that's why I hang on to it. It's it's the same with uh, some of the books that I like. Mm-hmm. I still get kind of a kick out of some of the old Harvey comics because on one hand, mm-hmm. there's guys like uh, Ernie Cologne that did artwork that he did a lot of like brilliant artwork for yeah. this stuff. Yes, he did. And there's some of it that, again, this is where aging out works in different directions. That when I look at it as a grown up, it's really weird and creepy, and I still get kind of a kick out of it. But it's different from when I was a kid, and it's the 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 ever present. Where did they bury Casper the Friendly Dead Kid? <laughs> you don't think of that when you're four, but when you're a teenager, and Matt Graying points that out in one of his Life Is Hell comics, it just stays with you forever. And again, it's it's. If I read an old Casper comic, mm-hmm. I get a giggle out of that yeah. because I still I still think about that that somewhere there's this this kid who um, one guy did this, his origin story as he got run over by a steamroller. One guy a crazy magazine did his origin story that his dad got drunk and murdered him and his mom and and as a grown up that kind of thing run. But it's still I still get something genuine out of it. So right. I have I still have that affection, just not as much as I did when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But but that's why again the aging out thing works in in different directions that you can you can age out because you're too young or you age out because you're too old and you're just not getting anything from it. Mm-hmm. But if you're still getting something from it, that's not necessarily a sign that you're stuck in in you know like a, a level of development that's inferior to where you should be based on your chronological age. It no. could just be that. You're you're enjoying this one weird aspect you didn't notice when you were uh, the first time around. Absolutely, no, no, no. I hundred percent agree with that. Um, there are certain things that in, in that um, certain comic series, especially certain manga and things that I've read when I was younger, and I read them now. Movies as well that I have a, that I love them then, and I love them now, but in completely different ways. I have completely yeah. different levels of appreciation. Even the original Star Wars, when I watched that film. I look at it with completely different eyes, or the old saying is new eyes. Basically, I watch it with new eyes every time because I'm no longer that. I'm a different person, mm-hmm. um, and because of that, I get things from it I didn't before. No, so I totally understand. I do. I do actually. I'm a weird person, as you well know, um, because <laughs> I found in my life I tend to age more into things than out of things. Right. My hobbies have actually in some ways, increased more with time rather than, you know, decreased. Or my interest. Right. But there are exceptions, and maybe we'll talk more about that later, but I think we should probably get on to your next type of uh, reason why you'd leave fandom, and we'll see if that goes somewhere, because I want to hear what the other ones are, but first. Okay, because that, that actually ties in with the kind of the second reason people will leave, mm-hmm. is that you hit a saturation point. Yes, that tends to be with me is why I have left most of the fandoms that I've had in, in uh, my life where often I'll get into something, I'll get really into it for a little while. Um, I, an example of that, I guess, would be Sentai, actually. I was really into Sentai mm. for a little bit there back in the yachts. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I watched shit tons of it because, oh my God, is there a lot of it? 
Um, <laughs> and then I said, then one day I just said, you know, I've seen every possible variation of this. I think I'm going to see. I don't get anything more from this. I'm going to stop now. And I did. Yeah. You know, you, I just, I got saturated and then that was enough. Yep. So I, yeah. so that's my example of, uh, yeah, being, being saturated by something. And there's, with me, I find there's kind of two kinds of saturation. There's short-term saturation. There's long-term saturation. Mm-hmm. So there are some things like, um, actually, I'll give you an example. So the Sentai thing, that would be an example of long-term saturation. I watched it. I don't really think there's any other variations of it that I know of in existence. I mean, maybe a few, but I don't care anymore. You know, they, it, it, it no longer holds any interest for me, really. Um, right. not, nothing serious anyway. Um, but... If we get to, if we talk about something like, um, actually, we just did an episode not too long ago on Samurai TV, right? And I have this weird thing where I have seasonal interest in things. I don't know if you, I don't know if you or anyone else has this experience where there are certain times of the year where I will be into certain kinds of media. And when that season is done, and I'm not talking about a TV season, I'm talking about a literal, honest to God, like winter, summer, spring, fall, you know, that period is done, that interest will also disappear. And then it may come back the next year, but it'll come back in the next again that season the following year. Um, hmm. That happens with Japanese stuff. The last couple of years, I don't know why, but every time we get to around Christmas time, suddenly I'll start craving or being I'll just get that itch to start watching like samurai TV shows and such, and I'll watch <laughs> them for a couple months, like lots of them. There's lots. I'll watch them for a couple months, and then I'll lose interest in them, and it'll just go away. Like right now, I have no interest in watching anything in my collection whatsoever. But I will bet you money next December, I will be like, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> streamlining that stuff like crazy, and it'll just come out. And I don't know why. There's a couple other things that that happens with in my life, but I don't know why. Where mm-hmm. I short-term saturation, I watch a bunch of it because I'll get in the mood for it, and then I'll be done, and then few months maybe a year or two later i'll come back to it again and i'll just repeat that cycle and i don't know why yeah um actually i'm in the process right now of mission impossible that's that's another one on my list because there's so goddamn many of them probably a swearing <laughs> episode tonight i guess um where yeah because there's like 180 episodes or something of that and so right. each each time i'll get into it for like a month or two i've got a collection and i'll watch like you know maybe about 40 or so episodes of it and they'll be like okay that's enough and then i'll put it away and I'll, and then next year i'll start getting into it again and i don't know why that happens with the spy stuff too i gain mm-hmm. no clue why this happens huh um but this so so i have this these weird binge cycles for intellectual for entertainment and yeah. um but then again, I'm weird, so maybe that doesn't happen to anyone else on Earth except for except for me. Um, I don't know. How about you, Don? What stuff have you like basically gotten saturated by, and then that was enough for you? I've I've had a bunch. Like, um, I kind of get mine. Mine isn't seasonal; it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. That I'll get something stuck in my head, and because I hoard entertainment. Yes, you do. So case in point, I probably finish somewhere between 20 and 30 model kits a year. Mm-hmm. And I maybe buy one or two. And it's because I've got like a huge stockpile of them because the stuff that I like, you kind of have to get it when it shows up. Yeah, yeah. When it's available, you have to grab it because after a year, it'll be gone. Yeah. And then or it's something from 40 years ago that I'm never going to see one of these again kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Or it'll cost a nut or both. Yeah. And then it, it, it hits me that, you know, I'll just for, say, a few weeks, I'll just, like, 
build model kits constantly mm-hmm. and then it tapers off stuff like that so yeah. i don't think it's that it's that weird i yeah yeah true. yeah i i have similar cycle with video games usually only once a year for a couple weeks i will actually pull out my video game collection on my computer and i will play some games i might even buy one or two new ones and i'll play games for a couple weeks and then i'll just get tired and then it'll be okay that's enough and i'll put them away and i won't touch them again for like a whole year yeah I can there'll see, be no cause... feeling nothing i just won't touch them yeah, because that's kind of, I think, mentioning something that I've hit a saturation point with. For me, video games would be a good example. Mm. That I used to totally, absolutely love them. The last um, home system I got was the original PlayStation. Right. And I haven't been real interested in anything after. And it's because, to me, the, the games, they look better, but they're not different enough to really hold my interest. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Like a shooter is a shooter is a shooter. A driving yeah. game is a drive. Uh, a JRPG is a JRPG. Like you know, yes, they are. And you there, there's different twists and innovations. But again, like I say, I've played so many of these things over the decades that mm-hmm. the twists aren't big enough to really bring me back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't feel any kind of resentment or anything over you know that we're we're coming up. That's number four. But <laughs> but it's it's. It's just that it again. I I played so many. It's it's not something that really, that that really appeals to me so much. Same thing too, I guess, with um, mm-hmm. say superhero comics. Right. I kind of uh, over the course of about a year, read entire runs of Marvel and DC books, and they were real interesting. But then, especially if you do them all at once like that, you really start seeing the patterns yep. and how they they lay out and how they tend to switch like themes and 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 um shoot like thematics as it it goes on and and it's a cycle and then at a certain point i just kind of lost interest because any new superhero comic that comes out for me is a lot like oh it's that again okay yeah yeah, it's just a variation of the things you already know in spades so you know why yeah so yeah why care no i get it i'm i'm similar with manga in some ways actually i've read so many manga over the years that almost everything I see is a variation of something I've already seen. Yeah. And that's, that's why like, uh, for me, there's a lot of stuff that I, I go looking for, like say for comics, Mm -hmm. that's really, it's really old. And it's because it was written under a totally different mentality than anything new. And I didn't get a chance to see it the first time around. So it's, it's new to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Especially when you get to stuff like the the Japanese stuff I find in the last decade or so. Um, they've really sort of editorials clamped down. So a lot of it, it really looks the same. It's the same kind of characters, the same kind of stories. Every, every now and then you get something really strange. Mm-hmm. And I tend to gravitate towards that. Like if you get a story about a giant naked porn star trying to save the world from invading alien gods from the future. Well, that I haven't seen. That's interesting. But oh, yeah. Like you say, if it's another kid getting sent to a fantasy land, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> I've, yep. I've seen this. <laughs> yep, pretty much. And I've reached that point with the Japanese stuff, with the Korean stuff, with the Chinese stuff. I mean, I haven't read that many Vietnamese or Thai stuff yet, but I'm sure it'll be pretty much the same. Um, so, yeah, no, 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 I, I totally understand. So I'm always on the lookout for something different. Like that's that, that's yeah. what I'm always looking for to something that's. Uh, or or something old that I didn't explore before. Like yeah. right now I'm on a uh, 
sports comic bender at this point where I'm where I'm going through a whole bunch of like sports manga and uh, looking at what's different between them and exploring them and it's it's fun you know I'm en- I'm enjoying it um, mm-hmm. it's kind of a variation I was into a lot of uh, gangster stuff earlier Japanese gangster stuff not too long ago and it's fascinating how much crossover there is between the sports stuff because you can literally see how the sports stuff actually at one point was the gangster stuff like there was the like the gang, basically gang comics that they used to have in japan and mm-hmm. in, especially in the 70s and early years there were a lot of gang comics and there's a certain point where there's a crossover where the gang stuff starts to be they start as gang stuff but they quickly become sports comics right um the er example of that is slam dunk right if you actually read slam dunk you'll discover it's it starts as a gang comic that purposely, but then he knows what he's doing. He purposely, he says, "Okay, here's one something like those funny gang comics you like." Okay, except the lead gangster is going to start playing basketball, and that's what, ha- and it turns into a basketball comic. Mm-hmm. But you can see there where the guy is, the artist is consciously saying, "This is here's the stuff that's popular from the time. I'm going to give you more of this, only different, and I'm going to pivot to basketball." And then yeah. Slam Dunk becomes so huge that everything after Slam Dunk becomes Slam Dunk. <laughs> that's a good way of putting but it. But <laughs> just skip it. Slam Dunk is the uh, Dragon Ball of sports manga. It's there's there is before Slam Dunk and there's after Slam Dunk, and they're, they're, <laughs> they are completely different things. You will not mistake a, a sports manga before Slam Dunk for one afterwards. They are totally different from each other. But Slam Dunk yeah. is that weird transitional thing, just like Dragon Ball Z was. Yeah. Um, between the 80s action stuff and everything that came after. And um, there's probably transitional ones happening with other thing, other genres and other manga genres right now that we're not even aware of because we're in the transition right now. Right. But we'll see what happens. Dr. Strone is done, so I guess that's, that wasn't the transition. But we'll, but it's pretty unique, so whatever. Um, yeah, that's... That, that's no, you know what it is? Mm-hmm. What? No, you know what the transition comic for Japan is? It's Mashal. Oh dear God, I hope that, not. That's where, that's where the isekai like Magic Kingdom stuff becomes a sports comic. <laughs> Boxing usually, but bump <laughs> Yeah, what if what if Harry Potter was like One Punch Man? That's that's Mashal. Um, although it's apparently it's about to end, if I remember right. I think, I think it's actually, right. I think it's about to finish up. So that won't be. So that won't be. Yeah. Yeah, but that'll 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 be the uh, yeah the next one, and and I think but, if people reach their saturation point, getting back on topic, um, if people reach their saturation point and you know, stuff just doesn't work for them anymore, I think that's perfectly natural. I think that's perfectly fine. Like there's not I, I as someone who experiences it all the time, it's like yeah yeah that that's fine. I do think that there is some validity if if. You're a listener and you suddenly experience this. Maybe you're a younger listener and you're experiencing this for one of your first times. You may want to just pack your stuff up and uh, put it aside for a while and give it maybe a year or two before you you know, give it to your nephew or little brother or sister or whatever or you know send it off into the world for someone else to enjoy because you may find that you will come back to it. Like you may just be having a little bit of a dip. Um, yeah. Or maybe it's something that's longer term. Or maybe it's something that's longer term. Like... For me and role-playing games, that's kind of the way it's been. I still have role-playing games on my shelf, but I have actually not done any gaming in about 10 years. It's been about a decade since I actually did any any real gaming. I've had one or two sessions with people, but that's our, but not as a GM anyway. Mm-hmm. And 
although you know recently for the first time in a decade as i think don knows that you know this winter i actually pulled out some of my old role-playing books and was going through them again and was actually like reading some and even downloaded some new role-playing books from drive for rpg and was reading some of those too just to see how games had changed i was kind of curious about games again it didn't reach the point where i actually ended up running anything but you know now and then you know it might come back you never know that's just the way life is yeah because the 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 idea of a saturation point you kind of see on a societal level as well yes and that's where you'll find um as as a fan as an audience member the best periods in entertainment are the ones where nobody knows what the next big thing is yes and that because that's when they get crazy and that's when they try stuff like if you look at um if you you mentioned music if you look at the late 70s going into the early 80s Mm -hmm. that was a terrific time for music and it was terrific because nobody knew what the next big trend was going to be they knew that the old stuff was out you know folk music was dead Mm -hmm. um you had the disco demolition night so disco was on its way out oh yeah but nobody knew what the next thing was and that's where you got like punk and you got metal and you got like the 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 upswing in arena rock and you got like your your techno bands and you got all kinds of this just craziness because everybody got a shot there was something new it's it's the same thing too if you look at um you mentioned japanese comic books that was a good era for that as well because mm-hmm you had all this experimentation because nobody knew what the next big trend would be. Nobody was even sure who their, their audience was anymore. And that's why you really saw an explosion of like, say comics for young people and old people and males and females and salary men and housewives. And you had pachinko comics, like more pachinko comics than you ever needed. And, mm-hmm. and as a fan, as a, an audience member, that's great because now I've got so many things to pick and choose from. Right. And it's because that's the advantage of that saturation. And it's what should be for an audience. Like when you hit that point where you're like saturated on stuff, it's not necessarily a down thing. It's basically, well, now I can try something a little different. Exactly. Yep. And no, no. I, in fact, those periods are wonderful. Actually, you missed the other obvious part, which is that movies and television during the from the late 60s to the basically we'll say uh late 70s same thing and that was the new Mm -hmm. hollywood area and that's where we got like you know the godfather we got taxi driver we got easy rider we got we got basically almost everything from the 70s that is now considered like the greatest cinema of all time or some of the greatest the beginning of modern cinema basically all came out of that experimental period where hollywood had no idea what they were supposed to be doing so with television really i mean yeah they were willing to it, like if someone had an idea for a film, they just bankrolled them and then they stuck it on the screen because God knows what audiences want. They had no <laughs> clue. They had no clue whatsoever. So you got Lucas and Spielberg and anyway Carpenter and all you know lots of other creators. That was their era because they could get funding for anything that they could put together a film for. Mm-hmm. That's that's just kind of the way it worked, and that was awesome. That was fantastic back in those days. So you're right. Ages of experimentation where they don't know what the next big thing is are great. And in fact, I would argue we're in one of those right now. I, I think we actually are. I think we're in a period where they don't really know what the next, next big thing in is. Um, superhero movies are kind of on their way out, but they don't. Sorry, Jack. But they um, don't really know exactly what's going to replace them. And mm-hmm. we've hit saturation point with that. So that and they've been the things that have been ruling the box office. But now what? Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks to like you know streaming services, you can find a little bit of everything everywhere. So what's what's big? I mean, you know, Korean dramas apparently, and uh, yeah, um, some science fiction right now. We seem to be going through a bit of a sci-fi boom. We might have another fantasy boom coming up, like you know, cycles. That I won't be surprised if westerns have another boom sometime soon. Maybe martial arts flicks. We'll see. Or maybe something completely different. I'm actually still behind the idea that we're just sitting on the edge of someone figuring out how to make anime work in live action. And then then we're going to get tons of that. That'll be the new superhero. Yeah. Um, someone will eventually like not make a crappy Dragon Ball film, but they'll make one that will actually <laughs> make money. And they'll get Taika Waititi to direct it or something like that. And everyone will love it. And that'll be, you know, that'll be the new template for the next 20 years of media. Oh God! <laughs> Until we get to, like the giant crossover of all the major anime heroes of Kinshiro and uh, JoJo and all, ironically enough, mostly '80s heroes. Uh, well, mm. mostly a lot of '80s heroes, but some '70s guys and some and maybe some modern guys too. Um, but that, right. Well, that's the thing that's happening in Japan right now. Basically, any '80s hero has an o, either OAV or series or whatever within the last few years, or one coming out. It's it's yeah. astounding. I was just watching on Netflix. There's one called Spriggan. That they just released the okay. six super high quality, like hour long episodes. They're basically like like hour long animated movies. Six of them from mm. Spriggan. You remember Spriggan? Yeah, yeah. It's from like the freaking like uh, I think it's late eighties, early nineties. Basically, yeah. it was this minor series that Viz brought it over, and okay, yeah, we read it and thought, oh, that's kind of neat. Some neat ideas there. And then, but now it's like this like super high-level animated series, well, six-episode one anyway, that uh, uh-huh. on Netflix right now, it's like, nobody knows what this is. But eh, they did it anyway. <laughs> Maybe it had a Actually, bigger fan base in Japan than I ever realized. Actually, I can do you one better, because don't forget, they just had a uh, big-budget remake of the dashing hero Medic-Muticking. They did? Yeah, they just did, like, a couple years ago. There was, like, a, I, I think it was, like, a... Uh, Either like an OEV series or limited series, but it was a it was a a, a big budget remake of the show that nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, well, that's the problem. The Japanese have no idea what's a hit, so they're just scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point, whatever they can come up with. That, and then they're just throwing giant budgets at them. Yeah, and that's and it's it's because it it goes with that idea we were talking about with the cycle of entertainment that. Doing something new is a risk, but if I'm bringing back something established, I can kind of jump a few of those steps. Yep, yep. And that's one of the reasons why it's seen as a safer bet. Even a, like something old that people don't really remember, it still has more history than something brand new. Yeah, well, at least you can refer back to it, and it's something that people at least heard of, maybe. So yeah, it's somebody something will react. to it. Yeah, yeah. That's why I any day now, Steven Spielberg with the big budget remake of Charge Man Ken. Yep, there we go. Which I would totally watch. You probably would. You'd be one of the few <laughs> who would, but yes, yeah. Well, that's the problem, right? Eventually, it'll be like, they'll get James Gunn to do like the, uh, I don't know, the Messenger movie or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it'll be one of those things like, what? What is this? Nobody knows. But he'll... It's James Gunn, so he'll turn into this rock and roll, like, uh, you know, rock and roll mecha fest, and everyone will love the hell out of it. And it'll end right. up being super popular, and people will just go crazy for it. 
Um, and big budget remakes of every super robot ever. Exactly what will happen. Exactly what will happen. And then <laughs> and Gona Guy stuff will of course now become popular again. So we'll get uh, Quentin Tarantino making a Devil Man movie or something, or I don't know who would yeah. be the guy, right guy to do a Devil Man movie, but whatever, uh, because that'll be that'll be when it enters the dark gritty phase. Now De- Devil Man would be a Cronenberg. Oh um, yeah, I th- I think Tarantino would be more uh, Violence Jack. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Tarantino <laughs> would definitely be more violence, Jack. No question. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to number three then. What's number three? Okay. Number three is kind of um, it's 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 sort of a derivation almost is where you get a style content drift mm-hmm. that kind of takes you out of it. Okay. And this is where again you're hmm. starting to kind of see a more active reaction from the audience. So it's. It's the idea, like if um, I was a hardcore fan of the na 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 Batman, yep, and then I go into the nineteen seventies comic where they were starting to do the more serious, darker stories, yep, that might not appeal to me mm. anymore. So you don't change the product does, like the content yeah. drifts away in a direction that doesn't appeal or work for you anymore, and so yeah, you're done. Yeah. No, no, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, I've I, I've experienced that. I think too. I have to think about mm-hmm. it a bit to come up with. Do you have any examples where that's happened to you? Yeah, the best one I can think of is uh, Judge Dread. Oh, interesting. And I thought of this because I've been picking up. They've been doing uh, the complete Dread case files, which are reprinting all of the stories. Yes, yes. And when you get to kind of the uh, mid nineties, I, I I found I wasn't I didn't like the stories as much. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Garth Ennis was writing a lot of them, so that might have something to do with it. Um, but it was the idea that, again, they were kind of just... I A lot of the stories were familiar. Mm. Um, they were trying too hard to be stylistically different, so you were getting artists that had all these crazy art styles. But the, like the, the meat of the story wasn't changing. Mm-hmm. So I kind of lost interest. And then what I found was years later... Mm-hmm. I came back in because the the tone had changed a, a few times during that. But when you start getting to say the origins era or um, the America storyline of that from say the end of the aughts going into the teens, mm-hmm. they kind of found a new, uh, a new, a, a new, not exactly a rut, but a new style for it where they were doing these longer continuing stories. that were more in depth. Uh, there was more um, social commentary, and it was it ran a little deeper than just making fun of things like the earliest stuff did. Mm-hmm. And I get my I got interested in again because again the 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 style had shifted to something that appealed to me. Right. Okay. No, no, that makes total sense. Actually, I guess mine would also be something British. Mine would be Doctor Who. Okay. Um, which is that you know I enjoy the old who generally even well that's the thing with the doctor right every doctor has a different tone and a different style because there's usually a different showrunner or writers or whatever and so doctor who is always one of those cases where you'll like some doctors more than others because things change with each doctor and in my case i overall enjoyed the russell t davies era quite a bit the modern doctor era and then when stephen moffat took over he changed it. At first, it was similar, but not too different. But the, as things went on, Moffat changed things more and more to the point where, especially with the whole Doctor Who is a fairy tale business and everything, that I'm like, yeah, I'm out. 
And that was, mm-hmm. and you know, eventually, and I, even though I would check on it from time to time, it's just like, I just do not like the style. And even though he even cha- kind of changed back again with, I know, the Capaldi era, where he kind of went back to being a little more Doctor Who is sci-fi, sort of, kind of, and anyway, and then, mm-hmm. so yeah, I just, I, so I, and I didn't like the Chibnall stuff that they've done recently either as well. So I do check, I go, I look at it say, okay, does this work for me anymore? Because I know it's the Doctor Who cycle, right? Eventually there'll be yeah. a doctor or showrunner that will work for me again and I'll probably watch it again. And that's probably going to be where Russell T. Davies comes back next year. Mm. That makes sense. Because that was for me with the, the old Doctor Who. I didn't like uh, Peter Davison. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I lost interest. But then I kind of came back into it with Colin Baker. Right. And then I think of the original Doctors that uh, Sylvester McCoy was my favorite. Okay. I think he kind of got a raw deal because I think yeah, he, he got the part. Like, he did a great doctor, but they weren't sure what to do with his doctor, and I think he suffered. But hit him himself and even that idea, because that was where the idea, Colin Baker was they started the idea of the doctors slightly more sinister. Right, yeah. Which goes back to the original one, and I thought that was... But yeah, and it's like you say, like uh, the, the Peter Davidson one, I, I didn't... And looking at them recently... I think it's because they were trying to make him more of a typical hero. Mm -hmm. He was a young, dashing kind of guy. He was more chivalrous. The stories were a little more, uh, a little more grounded. And yeah, after, after, uh, fucking Tom Baker, no thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want crazy. And then they did Colin Baker and that's like, that's almost too much crazy, but I'm back. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I know you're more fond of the more recent who's than I am. Um, but again, pers- you know, the, the fan- sometimes, the, as you said, the content drifts. It moves around and changes, yeah. especially things that last for a long time. And I've found the best thing to remember with uh, content drift situations is remember the originals, especially thanks to the internet, are still there. You can go yeah. back. You can go back and enjoy them. Like if if things have changed so much that you don't enjoy something anymore, just go back and watch the old ones again, or go back and look for stuff like those old ones that you might have missed back then. You know, something that was running yeah. parallel at the time. Yeah, that's that may. And then the the funny thing about that is that ties into kind of the fourth step of why people leave. Okay, which is hardcore nerd rage. You suck. Yeah, and it, it it goes with what you said where mm-hmm. the idea of a stylistic drift is when the item changes but you don't. I found hardcore nerd rage is when the audience member changes but the item doesn't. Yes. And it cuz this is this is the idea I I thought about these things years like early 90s I worked at a comic shop. Mhm. And I know I've mentioned it there were a lot of people that would come in and they would you never got the discussion that, you know, well, I've been displeased with the last few issues of Batman. So I think perhaps I've hit my saturation point and I'll move on. It was always, you Batman, stupid, raping my childhood, you're bad, writers should be dead. And it was, and it was that. Right. Because again, it was that idea that it was more the audience member, they'd hit that saturation point, but didn't realize it or couldn't. And it's because, uh, their entertainment has become kind of more a part of them. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. That they, they feel more of an investment in it than yes. just fandom. And then that's what creates this like rabid nerd rage. And this is where I say everything nowadays is that because when you get to the post-internet era, say the late 90s, 
companies realize that if I can generate that level of rabid fandom, I have a ready market. Yes, that's true. And that's why everything becomes all about, like, keeping you outraged at everything that's not the thing I want you to buy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when it bleeds out into the real world, not just entertainment, but like news, politics, shit like that, mm-hmm. it becomes a major selling point that as long as I can keep you on edge, I can keep you as as a follower. And then right. that's that's where I think we're at now, that everybody's always angry about everything. And it goes back to that idea of, of nerd rage and entertainment that it just takes relatively minor things to set it off. Because then whoever's selling you your outrage back to you will jump on that and then just keep hitting those buttons. Yeah, yeah. Makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, so you're right. The Basically, the well, I, I would simplify it a little more. I would say the nerd rage, as you said, is just simply the result of, you know, that um, they're blaming the entertainment. They're blaming the entertainment for not being what they want anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know, instead of it's like, no, no, I haven't changed, you have. That's literally what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so, okay, that, that, and, and that makes sense. And I think that the whole, way you said you, them weaponizing it and such, I think, I don't entirely agree with you. Because um, I think you've always got to remember that the internet is built on clicks. It's built on attention, right. basically. And because attention literally equals money on the internet, and so the whole point is is that you generally, but not always, you generally want to you know, get people's attention and keep it, which at a certain level is not that difficult. But if you want to go like you know viral or get really high, then it does require a lot of effort. Um, and also mm-hmm. remember, there's that huge number of subsidiary industries that are also making money off anything. So I've discovered, for example, that if I were to make the mistake, for example, of on Google, look up, say, a comic book um, for whatever reason, maybe it's one we've discussed on the show or something like that, especially if it's something that's that's uh, in connected with modern stuff, stuff that's going on right now, especially, I will suddenly find a news feed filled with stories related to it. Mm-hmm. You've probably had that experience too. Um, yeah. I'm sure most people have here because it, it, at least my Google news feed, because Google is Google um, and I have a Google phone, etc. So whatever. Um, <laughs> the point being that, so I, there's all these subsidiary industries that are now trying to get me to click on stories because they know, well, he's interested in, I don't know, All-Star Squadron, for example. And there's a new All-Star Squadron movie coming out. There's not. I'm just making this up. Um, but there's a new All-Star Squadron movie coming out. So I'm going to get suddenly articles about uh, the voice actors in the movie, perhaps if it's animated or the actors if it's not. I'm going to get um, a little the history of All-Star Squadron. I'm going to get every possible permutation of an article. Some of them, I wonder, are almost generated by AI um, about that topic because it's going to start fishing. It was doing it's fishing me. And of course, it's going to send me a bunch of the more controversial ones as well and see if I see if I react to any of those or pay attention to any of those is like, well, in the new All-Star Squadron movie, they're going to make Captain Steel gay. It's like. Okay, does he react to that? Does he click on that? Okay, uh, uh, and then they'll do a switch. And they're going to make his dog gay too. Oh, did he click on that? Did he click on that? And so, and that's the kind of, you know, and um, they're going to, they're going to, you know, gender cast now, you know, Captain Butch there is now going to be Captain Butch, but it's going to be, you know, you know, a woman instead of a guy and whatever. And it's like, oh, did he click on that? You know, again, this is, this is how it works. 
know, or mm-hmm. the controversy behind the the director that's producing All Star Squadron. Did he click on that? And it's just this giant fishing expedition. But the thing is, this yeah. all this content is being produced and it is there, and they're hopefully getting clicks from it that they can then use to make money from ads. And so it's yeah. not real controversy. In many of these cases, nobody cared. And it was, so what? Captain Steel is suddenly going to be gay. Well, most people don't care. I don't. No, mm-hmm. you know, most people don't care. But they're, they want to find the people that do. And mind, mind, mind you, there may have only been like five people on Twitter that, talk, that were like upset about Captain Steel was suddenly being gay. But again, they will act like there's a million people even though there's only five, according to Twitter, and they'll, 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 they'll post the tweets and say, oh my God, these people are, this, there's a huge <laughs> fandom upswelling that Captain Steel is now gay. It's like, again, most people don't care. It's just those five people on Twitter, but that's what they're going to run with. They're going to make it look like they're a huge number of people. And so yeah. there's your weaponized fan rage. But it's not, I find it's not so much usually, okay, it's not as often it's not, I should, I should rephrase this. It's often not usually the actual creators of the stuff that's doing it. I find it's more the subsidiary industries. I guess that's my point. Um, yeah, because that's their whole their whole biz. But the thing yeah. is, what then happens is it starts feeding back into the uh, into the, the 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 bigger issues. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like if I create something, the outrage machine will get people angry about it. But then if enough of them are getting loud whoever's fronting the money for me to produce my movie or whatever is then going to start influencing it. Yes. Oh no. They'll, they may start manipulating it or using it. That That's definitely true. Um, it w- but then it goes, then it goes the other way. Cause then once that story gets out, you can get the other side outraged or people who didn't care about the first issue. So you could just, it's just generating more anger for something that nobody's actually seen. Yep. And nobody actually cares to see because it's not the product that's selling anymore. It's the outrage around the product that's selling. Exactly. Exactly. No one actually cares about the product. And the truth is the product may come out and make a very minor splash, if at all. And But by then, people have already moved on to the next thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... Um, I think when we get to Nerd Rage 2.0, it's going to be weird because... Whereas in the, in the olden times... Mm-hmm. Outrage would be publicity. Nowadays, it's the product itself is going to be entirely superfluous. I'm sorry, I, I have to laugh because you're right. I know you're totally mm. right. I think we're already yeah. there in a lot of ways. I think that that the outrage uh, and the product don't they barely have any connection with each other. And the funny part is, is that most people watching or reading or in playing or enjoying almost anything these days are usually completely oblivious of the outrage that went with it. I would argue Mm -hmm. like this, the whole, there'll be a whole outrage machine. Now it does depend on what level we're talking. Like if we're talking about say a Marvel movie called, okay, everyone pretty much knows about that. The vast majority of people do, but even there, I would argue many people will watch that movie and not know that there was like, say a controversy about the game Thor's dog being gay or something like that, that during the lead up to the movie, they probably will never hear it. Your average person will never hear it because the system will only target like on Facebook, Google, whatever, will only target people that have shown interest in that kind of thing. So unless they stumble across it, because there's no, there's not the same level of mass media anymore, they will probably never know about the Thor's dog is gay controversy or something like that. 
I would say that they will because I. You're right that what happens it's divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. But because we're now like moving into the outrage economy, you're going to see it whether you want to or not. Now it's a matter of how you're going to see it. So if they decide in the new movie they're going to make Thor's dog gay, mm-hmm. and I'm a fan of like say more right wing political stuff, I'm going to see the article. Did you ever notice that now that they're desexualizing candy and sexualizing animals, all of the animals are trans or gay? I think it's a Tom Hanks plot. And that's what I'll see if I'm a righty. Now, I'm not going to see that if I'm a lefty. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to see as a lefty is the article about how the right wing is all up in arms that now Thor's dog is gay. And I'm going to see that part of it. Yes, you will. And, yeah. <clears throat> and you're, you're going to get the tiny little sniglet that the outrage machine thinks appeals to you. Mm-hmm. True. And you might not even be somebody who, who, um, who's seen the movie or is interested in the movie, but you'll know all about the movie because of the outrage. And if you're just into the movie, you're going to know all about the outrage because it, either way it gets foisted on you and it gets foisted on you through the permeable walls of your cocoon based on how whoever's presenting you this info thinks you're going to want to get it which means where i think you're you we've been seeing kind of the results of that for a bit where people will bitch and moan about something they've never seen or never intend to see yep but because they got it flavorized in just the right way that beautiful beautiful anger is what what they 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 got and that's goes back like i said like 10 years when marvel was catching flack for their books and the changes they made made absolutely no difference in their sales because the people complaining didn't care about the books. They weren't reading them. They were just looking for something to get outraged about. And the internet told them it's this, you don't like this cover. I don't like that cover. And then Marvel would freak out and change it. And then nobody cared because the people who cared were just going to read the story. Exactly. Yeah. I I think that's it. I think, well, I do think that there's a large percentage of people with, as I said, with anything that, that, we'll never care and we'll never know i think that there's like there's marketing before something comes out there's marketing when something comes out and there's marketing after something comes out and outrage can be used at all three points and will be used at all three points i should say <laughs> um and usually it'll be different outrage that's that's the other funny part so yeah it'll be like because there'll be always the leaks that oh by the way did you hear in the new movie thor's dog is gay and that'll mm-hmm. that'll be when it, you know in the year or so before it comes out, and then it will come out, and people will discover. Well, yeah, he's maybe kind of gay because you know, you know, he he's he basically sniffs a male dog's another male dog's butt or something, and that's that's all that that's all it is, <laughs> you know. But the thing is, that was the, that was how they you know they got everyone upset and in arms. But the thing is, no, no, no. But during the movie, this happens, and then people then people will get up. You know, that'll be the outraged while the movie is in the theaters or on dvd or it's run and then a few years later they'll be do some outrage about looking back at you know looking back at thor love and thunder and how you know the thor's dog was gay controversy and when they really should have been talking about how you know thor's cat was a lesbian and then blah 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 blah, blah and whatever else like the or or thor's you know thor's cat was i don't know whatever some other social justice thing anyway the point is is that and they'll try to get outraged. So there's there's many stages to outrage at this point. I guess that's my yeah. point. It is, and I'm waiting for the day where we finally get a product that the outrage exists without a product. 
Yes, that's what you were saying earlier. That's true. Yeah, where it'll finally I, I, just cease to exist at all. Yeah, where somebody will say, announce a movie, and we'll get a year's worth of anger over just this like two-line announcement, and the movie will never be made, never come out, and there'll be no production. It'll just be that sweet, sweet outrage pumped directly into your eyeballs. I bet that's probably already happened, and we're just not aware of it. That there probably is or has been movies that were announced and based on based just on the premise of them that they released, like the one page press release, generated huge amounts of outrage. And then the movie just simply never got made because of either the outrage or maybe they never intended to. Maybe they were just Mm -hmm. using it to just, you know, just garner attention or whatever. Most things I think they usually I found with Hollywood, usually Hollywood, at least they usually do intend to make this thing. But sometimes deals fall through. Stuff happens. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with video games anything you know anything's expensive especially yeah i mean there's a certain point where it just becomes a too high risk and sometimes of course they're just floating ideas they're just tossing that out idea out there and let's see if this gets a reaction that's a popular one too. Well, i mean not yeah but not even that like somebody somewhere puts up like an urban legend about you know this movie that was the most whatever ever and then everybody gets outraged about it even though that that movie never came out and this this guy is like just it's like a slender man thing like yeah that there was never any actual movie and people because i've i've seen we've, we've seen the internet lose its shit over like you know just the barest announcement of something that's actually coming out yeah oh, yeah like i can't count how many times in the last 10 years we've had like you know i've seen videos that were an hour of outrage for a minute and a half ad for something yeah yeah oh yeah easily that's yeah that's not uncommon but what i'm saying is is the point where like somebody sort of like just you know it it it's not even a thing that's a thing that somebody says well there was that movie i was thinking of a movie like what if you did a movie where you did this and then everybody loses their mind over that. And then when the second tier of rage starts, it's just assumed that that was a real thing. And then for decades, everybody's outraged by this thing that never existed. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a reverse right. naked came the stranger sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we'll live to see it. Like, well, we I have a funny feeling. It's, we, we it's, it's just around the corner. Uh, yeah, I think it's already happened. We're just not aware of it. Because I think... The- yeah, I don't... I don't want to look it up. <laughs> yeah, don't. Just don't. Just don't. Don't worry. I mean, maybe Snopes will have a page on it or something like that. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of it. So I think we covered it. So let's see. So our so what were our four different uh, types of fans? So basically, um, you age out of fandom. Yeah. What was the second one? Was Saturation. Sa- you reach saturation with fandom. Third one? Style Drift. Style Drift. And of course, finally, nerd rage. Okay, hardcore nerd hardcore rage. Nerd rage. So basically, the third one is basically the it changes and you don't, and the fourth one is you change and it doesn't. Yeah. So they're kind of they're kind of mirrors of each other. Which yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable, and I, I think that I think those are all worth thinking about, and I th- I think that the one reason I think this I think the subject was worth talking about because um, I think especially for, as I mentioned before about younger, you know, members of this audience, younger listeners, and maybe a few older ones as well, you will discover this is just a normal part of life and you just have to accept it. In fact, actually, I think the most important lesson from this uh, episode, if there is one, if we're going to have our, you know, one to grow on here, is that, (laughs) um, 
that try to avoid number four. Like, just <laughs> be, I'm, I'm serious, really. I mean, just accept that number one, two, and three are natural, right? And mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about it. And it just happens because we change. We change, our yeah. tastes change, whatever. We as people change. That's just simply how it is. And also media changes over time, too. So that's why where number three comes in, right? Yeah. And so you should just accept that. Just accept it as part of life. And, you know, sometimes there is a time to, you know, take down your TMNT posters from the wall and basically say, you know, Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, and whatever the last turtle is, I, um, Leonardo, (laughs) yeah, Leonardo, um, I, you know, know, it was, we were were good together. It was a good time, but I'm afraid now we need, we need a separation. It's just, you know, we're just, we just don't work anymore. And that's, that's okay. It's, you know, it's me. It's not you. We just have to go our separate ways. That's just the way it's going to mm-hmm. be. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, um, it, you know, and it doesn't need to be traumatic. It doesn't need to like ruin your life or anything like that. I do, as I mentioned earlier, suggest a trial separation first because you never know. Sometimes <laughs> it's just a saturation thing and sometimes you might come back to it eventually. But on the other hand, you know, actually there's a good question, Don, I've got it for you. So, how long should you wait before if something doesn't work for you anymore, you kind of just pack up your fandom and say, you know, it's time for me to go? I, th- I think, again, it, 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 it just depends because I think the moral of the story is don't sweat it. Like, kind of like what you're saying. If you like something, you like it. Mm-hmm. If you don't like something, you don't like it. Yep. Either way, it, it's not the end of the world. It's not like the end of you as a person if... All of a sudden, you're not like uh, a fan of, like you said, the Ninja Turtles or the Toronto Blue Jays or or whatever. It's just things change. You can kind of move on and go into the nerd rage thing. You're not Che Guevara because you wrote a 300-page essay about Superman wearing his underwear under his tights, raped your childhood. Just just move on. Yeah, exactly. Although, you bring that up, but actually, I just thought of, I actually did think of a fifth one. That we could actually add to the okay. list, just as you were mentioning that, which is in the age of the internet, especially, sometimes you'll get into something, but then you'll discover that the fandom online is so toxic or or it changes. Like, for example, mm-hmm. let's say, hypothetically, you get into, uh, you know, My Little Pony or something and you're like, and it's new and it's exciting. My Little Pony's friendship is magic or whatever. And you get into it and it's all good and everything's great. And people are like hanging, they're drawing their own little pony versions of each other. And they're all happy in their little like forums online or whatever. But over time, you know, the fandom itself, the show hasn't changed, but the fandom itself slowly becomes more and more toxic where people start arguing over, I don't know, uh, human ponies versus pony ponies or, you know, whether it's okay to do Rule 34 stuff with the ponies and, you know, all sides, of, you know, they or, you know, which pony is in love with which pony and who belongs together and who doesn't belong together, etc. You know, whether episode 34 was like the worst episode ever, ever the best episode ever, you know, you get the idea, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, fandom goes down a toxic road or becomes dominated with toxic fans. And so to the degree where sometimes it causes you to lose your love for that thing because the meta conversation about that thing has become so toxic. And this is different than number four, I would say, because number four is just about outrage. This is just simply about the fandom being a fan of this has become toxic, basically. And That's, that's I think that that's a fifth one that is definitely different than the other four. Yeah, it might be another category because this is when you have to send Batman in. 
yeah pretty much the, the, there, there's a joke we have to link to in the uh in the notes but yep but i because i i think yeah i think you're definitely looking at a uh at that might be a whole other category of concerns that it's because it's it's the idea that it's not fun anymore because of the other participants mm-hmm. or because of how you're being perceived. Yes. Yeah, very true. And those are slightly separate things. That's true. Um, maybe you yeah. don't like it anymore because, again, everyone is looking down on you for liking that stupid kids crap or something. Right. That's an obvious one. And yeah, um, even your family members might be looking at you, you know, sideways eventually. It's like, okay, we tolerated it for a little while, but now the fact that you've got that, you know, body pillow of uh, Twilight Sparkle, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, we have to have a talk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> and that that was a mistake to show that on Instagram, buddy. That was definitely a mistake. <laughs> anyway, so the point is, is that until that's, so you're right, there's really two other categories there. There's how well, people I, react to you and there's how you, the fandom itself. Yeah, because that's the sort of thing where, like I say, I don't think society being infantilized is because people like superheroes. I, I think that's an affectation. I think yeah. there's you can make the, the infantilization argument, but I think it's got to do with other practical things. Mm-hmm. But then, like I say, too, there's there's that associate because you got to remember for the last like 25 years. My comics tend to end up in like the the furry category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a whole other wave of stuff to deal with right then and there. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And you had to deal with furry fandom for thirty plus years as well, which is a whole kettle in itself itself. Yeah, because again, it it becomes a mixed batch, right? Like the fandom itself, even the weirdos. I find most of them just they're just the the real weirdos are odd. They're not like off-putting mm-hmm. but then you run into the problem that everybody who's not a fan of that sort of thing assumes that every comic with an anthro character is omaha yes and that's not true there's very little sex in my stuff because i like violence but mm-hmm. other than that but again it and it's it's that issue too that what you like can become unfun based on those aspects of of the the people inside right and where they drag you. Because, I mean, that was one of the weird the weird things about, say, like, uh, furry fandom mm-hmm. about ten years ago. Is there was this big wave of, like, neo-Nazism amongst the fandom. Wow, really? Yeah, it was, it was a big thing. And you're like, well, the problem is there's considerable people that... That's what they think everybody who ever, ever read, like, you know, a Bugs Bunny comic book is deep down inside. So you kind of have to deal with that in some respect. Wow, I I didn't. I mean, I've known since the '90s because I have read some of the anthropomorphic stuff. That yeah, there's there's a there was back in the day a, a uh, contingent of the furry fandom and the alternative comics fandom that let's just say had an unhealthy obsession with Nazis and yeah, not Nazis as bad guys. Let's put it that way. Uh, but but it was always with the Nazi style, right? It was never they weren't like oh, you know the Jews must die. They just thought the Nazis looked cool. That's really what it was. So you got like the Desert Peach, for example, or uh, a whole bunch of stuff by Ben Dunn. Because boy, did Ben Dunn, sorry, Ben, if you're still listening to the show, (laughs) uh, boy, did Ben Dunn have a fascination with Nazis back in the day. But him being Taiwanese and growing up in Taiwan, you can kind of forgive him to some degree about that. It's like, well, yeah, over in Asia, the Nazi stuff is just kind of looked at as being like style. They really don't Mm -hmm. think of it in um, in the more genocidal aspects of it. Yeah. 
Um, and they're definitely not promoting actual neo-Nazism as a philosophy. Right. That's not happening. But, wow, I, so I knew that there were some, some aspects of, uh, the, of militarism and Nazism, or Nazi fetishism, I should say, that existed in the community. But I wasn't aware that the neo-Nazism had popped up about 10 years ago. That's, yeah, it was, it was a thing for a little bit. And that's... That's not good, but okay. Well, that's that. Yeah. And if I was a furry fan and that happened during that time, I'd be like, you know, I'm done. I'm you know, I'm out of here. I don't want to be associated with any of these people, and I don't want people thinking I am associated with them. Yeah, I mean, it it goes back to for a uh, you you go back to uh, prime satanic panic. Remember mm-hmm. being a gamer, right? Had that stigmatism attached to it a lot too, because everybody thought that you know we were like Satan worshippers and we're going to like sacrifice our little siblings to the devil kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that was. And that was a genuine attitude. That was something you had to overcome. Like if as as a gamer, as soon as people knew you played, ever touched a 20-sided dice in your life, they were like hiding the cat. You know, yeah, that's... exactly. Um, and little did they know it was actually the dog we were after, not the cat. But the, the dun, demon, dun, dun. De- demons prefer dogs <laughs> for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. They, even demons hate cats. I guess that's just the way it is. <laughs> The cats are just way too evil. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're way too evil. Maybe it's because the witches get upset when you start killing the cats. I don't know. Whatever. Well, well no. If you remember, it's because, like, devils are, are, are lawful evil and demons are chaotic evil. Okay. So cats tend to be lawful evil, so that puts the demons off. Oh. That's interesting. <laughs> huh. Okay, well, there you go. There's There's some good logic there. Um, but, but yeah, I think I think you've hit upon like a, a whole other kettle of worms because that too would depend on how invested you are in fandom. Yeah, I mean, if it's a case where you know, let's say the online fandom you're interacting with is toxic, usually there's a fairly simple fix for that because of the nature of the internet, which is just go hunting for another group that's not toxic because there's probably yeah. another fandom of that thing that's not toxic. Like you just happen to be in the one of the ones that went bad or went sour. There might be exceptions. There might be some. Sh- I find that there are shows, especially that as they go on, certain certain programs. I'm not going to mention. Um, their fandom became more toxic as a result, in a weird way, in response to what, the events that were happening in the show, whether they agreed with right. the direction the show was going or not, and that kind of tended to trigger some toxicity within the fandom. That's happened with many things, actually, including Star Trek. Um, and in that case, you can always just go off and find another fandom group that, uh, that still loves Star Trek, for example, that, um, that say you know, nobody talks about Discovery. They just talk about classic Trek and everyone's happy doing that, except for the occasional person who brings up Discovery as a joke or something. On the other mm-hmm. hand, if you're a Discovery fan, you don't have to deal with those snarky classic Trekkers. You can go off into the Discovery group and you'll be ha- hopefully be happy there. I mean, yeah, that's the nature of the Internet. The one about being looked at as a, you know, as a child murderer, if you're into like My Little Pony, that's a little bit different. That's one of those things that you're either going to have to learn to keep it down down low or maybe you might have to move on. I mean, it's one of those things if you're not comfortable with it. Yeah, you got to remember, too, when it comes to this sort of thing, uh, like we were saying there's a certain needle that the production companies and, and that like to thread Mm -hmm. and that fan groups and that like, especially if they're a semi-professional or a professional fan group, they like to thread because outrage is attention. Yes, it is. Yeah. So they want 
you you kind of want to walk that line. You you want there to be some controversy associated with your stuff most of the time. But it's the type of controversy and how can how can we uh how can we steer it? Right. I I don't again, I think that some of that has to do with um Okay, so for example, um I'm, you know, the scripter as we all as I think most listeners probably know on a webcomic right now, okay? And that webcomic is doing pretty darn well. Okay, let's just say it's doing pretty darn well. There's no controversy about it. There's no um, special sauce to it other than the fact that we produce a fairly good product. And as a result, we have we, we have a very large number of uh, readers on it. And, uh, and it seems to be growing at a steady rate. We don't, there's no controversy. There's been a few things that have happened in the webcomic that I thought was going to be controversial, but was not. In fact, mm-hmm. we only really had one controversy, actually, kind of, sort of. And even that wasn't really a controversy. It was mostly fans um, laughing at the comic. Um, not in the way that you would normally want them to. I, I should explain. <laughs> um, so very quickly, um, it's, it's based on a fantasy novel by two writers. Uh, that were, And I'm the scripter on it. I'm not the creator. I'm the scripter. So I'm basically adapting the original material. Well... A major figure in the, in the original book, Lord of Goblins, by the way, is the name of the comic. If you want to look it up, it's on Webtoons. Um, and there's like like this ancient, powerful all-lord figure. Now, when they named him, the, when they named him, they named him Ein's Heart. Okay? And they, that's, well, you think, okay, Ein's Heart, whatever. Uh, so it's A-I-N-S-H-A-R-T. Okay? And... If you now now pronounce that as one word, Einschart is actually how people pronounce it. Um, so, and if you know what a shart is, you probably now start to understand why that became an issue. We will not link to that in the notes. <laughs> no, we will not. You can look up what a shart is if you want to. Um, that will, that will so, go unfortunate places in a hurry. Thank you, yeah, Internet. Yeah, exactly. No. And so what happened So what happened was, is that when the first uh, story came out with the, which mentioned Ein, Ein's heart there, um, which is written again as just one word, not two, um, it, with no apostrophes in there, um, the audience burst out laughing because a large percentage of our audience are teenage boys. So they all thought that was really, <laughs> really funny. And it, um, it it embarrassed the hell out of the authors, actually. The authors mm-hmm. actually had a little bit of a... Uh, yeah, they, they, um, they, they got so embarrassed that, that we went back, and it, the, if you were to read it now, you'll see it's Ein Shard. It ends with a D, not a T now. <laughs> and even the books i think they've changed it they've gone back and they've read at least at least the ones i don't know if they've all been fixed yet for whatever they went back and did because again the two authors are not first first language is not english so they had no idea so they didn't put that together they wouldn't naturally put that together and it didn't come up until well yeah i mean when i was scripting it i actually kind of thought of that briefly <laughs> but i was like well you know eins heart Okay, I guess that kind of you know. Okay, well, let's let's see. Um, and but then, yeah, the audience caught it right away, being a bunch <laughs> of teenage boys. So anyway, so that's the only thing that's closest to a controversy, and not not even a controversy. That was just so people laughing their butts off at at uh, you know 
at, at some good old potty humor in the book uh, in the book. Um, but but we're doing quite well, and we don't need mm. like you know quote unquote controversy to make it you know to make it successful. Like, and I think there's a lot of things that if it's a good quality product, you really don't need the controversy to juice it. In fact, I would argue that juicing with the controversy is something that is done especially with things that are um, just really mediocre or lower quality. It's a marketing gimmick to try to make something that's not that great uh, more popular or more well-known. Or it's an accident because that was... Yeah, that happens a lot. Like we said, the Dungeons & Dragons thing. It yep. was unknown until we found out it was evil and then it was everywhere. Yep. Well, that's the whole Streisand effect, where you mm. call attention to something by complaining about it. I believe that's what the Streisand effect is. And as soon as you eat something that was small and minor and no one cared about, and then you know, someone famous you know, starts bitching about it online or whatever, or in the media, and suddenly everyone cares. And everyone's paying attention to it. Yeah. So it's something that literally would have gone below everyone's radar if you hadn't freaking brought it up but you had to open your mouth and now everyone <laughs> knows about it and you've actually done them a huge favor in the way yeah yeah that's so that's that, that's the way it goes sometimes um so anyway so fandom yeah it's one of those things that sometimes you have to make some hard choices sometimes you have to accept you grow out of it sometimes it leaves you sometimes you leave it sometimes you're driven out but regardless <laughs> sometimes the relationship is just over and you just have right. to accept it and move on. That's just life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sorry. That's the best I can come up with as uh, for for a uh, moral for this whole story. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> the other half is violence. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, if you have any questions or comments or want to talk about your own uh, lost fandoms or maybe new ones, for example, why don't you drop by ObeyTheDNA.com and leave a uh, comment uh, under the show or one of our many other shows. We've been doing this for a little while. Uh, mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed it, this episode, and we hope you'll continue to subscribe and enjoy future episodes as well. Thanks for mm-hmm. listening, everyone. Good night. And don't make us send Batman after you. Shut up, Don. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!